uh, written me some questions. And uh, one of the things I said, I didn't want to sound like a, a bravey pastor, but we really do have an amazing uh, body of believers here that, that love the Lord and the things that um, God has called them to do. And to be able to use um, those gifts for the Lord is a, is a great thing. And, you know, a lot of churches, you know, the saying is 10% of the people do 90% of the work. And really, if you look around here, it's, it's just about flipped. And it's, it's an amazing thing. And so, uh, very thankful, very thankful for the body here. Well, we're going to continue down Romans Road. We're going to be mostly in Romans 8 today. Um, in your, in your uh, bulletin, I hope, that you had um, a little handout. This is just something you can put in your Bible. Um, as we talk in the next few weeks, now, uh, next week, uh, Mr. Mitchell is going to be giving us a message, but following that, um, we're going to be talking about evangelism styles. So when we're going through this thing, I want you to know that there's just not one way. It's not a, a cookie cutter aspect. God has made us all unique and individuals, and we all have opportunities to share uh, when and where we are. And so... I want you to think about that. So the handouts are there just to sort of help you. Maybe you're praying for somebody. Maybe you um, are seeking to share it. And, and here's just some um, different things that you can go through. And so if you want more of the, the Roman uh, road, actually read the book of Romans. Romans 8 is a, is a fantastic chapter. I mean, they're all fantastic. But Romans 8 really for just grounding you in your walk and seeing what God has for us and and we ended up last week sort of talking about uh, the four things. We talked about faith, repentance, confession, and baptism. And so we're going to sort of touch on that because we talked about if the world was coming to an end and we had to swim to Hawaii, how far would we go, right? And we're not going to get far. Even the best athletes are not going to make that 2,500-mile uh, swim to Hawaii. And so when, when we think of our faith, I want us to think of different things. You know, because people have all sorts of different fuzzy uh, uh, inclinations of what faith may be. And a lot of times people say things like, my faith will get me through. And uh, I caution people when we, when we say, my faith. Because we know that faith is a gift from God. He gives us a portion of faith in our life. Um, and the question can be, is your faith is what? What is your faith in? What is it that you are putting your trust in your faith in? And so... To stick with the analogy of the bridge that we said that Jesus came and died and he's created this bridge from our death to life with the Father, we can think that um, and say my faith will get me through, but if we're not on that bridge, it's not going to work. And so we gave that analogy of this bridge going to Hawaii. If we walk the bridge to Hawaii, we were going to make it. If we try to swim, we're not. There's a lot of people that get hung up in their works. They get hung up in the things that they're going to do or that they are doing, and they think if they do enough that they're going to find favor with God. And again, we know that we're saved uh, by grace through faith, not of works, because then we can brag about it. Then we can boast about it and say, well, look at all the, the wonderful things that I have done. And so we can never ignore that bridge. And so what we do as Christians is our job is to tell people, here's the bridge. I want to show you where that bridge is at. I always say we want to introduce people to Jesus. You know, we have good friends and we come together in a crowd. We might say, hey, I want you to meet my friend so-and-so. And we introduce them. 
as believers, our job is to introduce people to Jesus. Now, what they do with Jesus is up to them. They're going to have that, that decision that they have to make. But we need to introduce them to Jesus. And so saving faith means get, getting out of the water and walking on the bridge. And so we point this out to people. We want to point out things because in the world today, there's a lot of people, and none of us are the judge, none of us know for sure, only God knows the heart. But there's a lot of people in the world today that claim Christianity, that say that they're a believer, but their life nowhere reflects it. And so Jesus tells us that when we come to him, behold, old things have passed away, behold, all things become new. And that's a process. From the day that we're saved to the day that we die, our life is, is a process of sanctification, drawing closer to the Lord. And when we look at these things, we need to understand that we need that type of faith because true faith always leads to action in our life. And so when we say faith, it means I believe in something. If you truly believe in something, it changes the way that you do something, right? If you truly believe that this food is, is bad for you and is going to cause cancer in your life, you're going to stop taking that food if you truly believe it. If you don't, you're going to continue that way. And so there's a lot of people that say, I believe in Jesus, I believe in God, but they don't fully trust in him. And at the end of the service today, I'm just going to talk a little bit about something because one of the publishers of the paper had asked me a question as a pastor, what do you think the biggest challenge is for you? And I really had to think about that. And I want us to think about that as a believer. What is the biggest challenge you face in sharing your faith with others or, or getting this message across to others? And so we know that saving faith always leads to change. It's always going to lead to something that is going on in our life. And so when we talk about faith, I want you to think about that as an action word. And so Romans 2.4 gives us this warning. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads to repentance? And so we have faith in God. We come to Jesus believing that he is who he says that he is. And when we are there, because it's in action, we know that that faith is going to lead us to our second step, which is repentance. Now, again, repentance is not just being sorry. Sorry is when you are caught for something. You know, I, I, I deal with guys all the time. They're sorry for what they did because they got caught. And they're having to suffer the consequences of what they did. Repentance is, is a totally different thing. Repentance is a turning away from and a turning towards. So it's turning away from sin in our life. And it's turning towards God. And so when we talk about a believer and a Christian having this faith, I want to ask you, is your faith leading you to repentance. And we all need this in our life. We don't just repent one time in our life when we get saved and, and that's the end of our repentance. Our repentance is, is a continual evaluation of our life, knowing that we fall short, knowing that, that we stumble and that we're going to sin in our life. And when we find ourselves in those positions, we choose to turn away from that sin and to turn back towards Christ. And so we need to understand that. We sing that, that old hymn, Trust and Obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Now that's not scripture, but it's based on a lot of scripture. So we trust God, we obey God, we follow him. Because that's the only way we're really going to have his peace that is in us. And so as we have this living faith and it leads us to repentance, we want to tell people about it. There's a confession that goes on. 
So it's not the confession that some churches have where you hop in a little box and you tell the man next door all your sins. That's not true confession. Confession is a couple things. Confession is our relationship with God. It's talking to God and telling him, you know, I, I fall short in this. How many of us have, have really gotten down on our knees and said, Lord, you know, I, I fail you. I fall short in so many ways. Lord, I need direction. All these things are confession. Confession can be positive things. Lord, that's what a praise is. Lord, thank you for what you are doing in my life. Thank you for, for finding our little Furby and the cat didn't get it. Those are, those are confessions. We're letting people know what God is doing. And, and I love the analogy that we don't just recognize God for the huge things he does in our life, though we ought to, but we also recognize him for the little things that he does in our life because all those little things make up our life. And so we confess these things. Roman 10 tells us this, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you shall be saved. And so when we talk to people about what is salvation, Paul makes it just very simple there. It, it's never rocket science. Some churches, they try to make it so hard. Well, you know, you, you say this prayer and you walk this aisle and you do this thing and, and then, then you got to do this and this and you got to hang on to the salvation. Listen, it's not about me hanging on to God. It's about God hanging on to me. And so the scriptures tell us, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. What does that mean to confess Jesus is Lord? You're acknowledging to him, Lord, I believe that you are who you say you are. Jesus, I believe that you are God's bridge. That you are the only way and the truth in the life. And the only way to get to the Father is through you. I'm confessing that to you. You confess it to others. You're telling other people as we evangelize others that Jesus is the solution. We prayed for marriages today. Even good Christian marriages go through struggles. But we need Jesus in the middle of it. I can't even imagine people without Christ in their life, how their marriages sometimes survive. Because even as believers, we go through those valleys, those struggles, those difficult times. And so when we have these people that come to us, we start with the premise of, have you gone to God? Do you know Jesus as your Savior? Is he a part of your marriage? Is he a part of your everyday life? See, I think for a long time, America and probably the church as a whole has been sort of lulled to sleep to think that God is something that we do Sunday mornings or maybe on a, a midweek Bible study night. And that's the only time we really deal with, with God. Oh, we may think about him from time to time, but is he an integral part of your life? Is he like that yeast that, that's in the bread that affects every part of your life? Do you think about him when you get up in the morning? Blessed is the man whose mind is stayed upon me, the Bible says. And so we confess that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart. That means that we believe fully that God raised him from the dead. Do you believe in the resurrection? See, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, that was their big disagreement. The resurrection. The resurrection is what gives us victory of sin in our life. The resurrection is what makes you and I be able to face each day in hope. Because we know when we leave this life that God has another better place for us to be. So we believe that God raised him from the dead. It says you shall be saved. For with the heart a man believes, resulting in righteousness. So our belief, our faith in Jesus, when we truly believe in it, are putting our trust in Christ, Christ makes us righteous for what he has done on the cross, for the blood that he has shed, for the death that he suffered because of my sin. 
So I become righteous through my faith in Christ. And with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Do you believe in Jesus? Has it led you to repentance? Do you tell not only God about it, but do you tell others about it? Are you proclaiming the goodness that Jesus has for you? You know, if you have you ever been to a wedding and you do the vows, I just did a wedding a, a couple weeks ago and I had the, the bride and the groom there and we have a part where we go through the vows. You know, do you so-and-so take so-and-so? And, and we go through all those things. And so we ask that question. And so we say, you know, to be your lawfully wedded wife. And, and what would we do if somebody said, hey, preacher, that's none of your business. This is between me and her. How would we respond to that? We won, right? No vows, no marriage, right? That's the way it goes. We stand there professing before the congregation, our family, and our friends what Jesus is doing in that marriage. We profess our love for one another. And so it is in our life. And so when we have those vows, it's the same thing as salvation. We're declaring our love for Jesus. We're declaring what he has done for us. Confession is to salvation what vows are really to a wedding. And so we tell our elders, we tell our friends, we tell our family. So when Jesus is our Savior, the Bible would really teach us that we can't keep it a secret. You'll never read in the New Testament where somebody had an encounter with Jesus, a saving encounter with Jesus, and they just kept it to themselves. It says that they went out. It says that the church was scattered, and wherever they went, they kept proclaiming. Paul is a great example. The apostles are great examples. They were scattered. They went out as missionaries, and they continued. If the churches were broke up, wherever they went, they continued to preach Christ. So with your heart, you believe. With your mouth, you confess. Baptism was the final one, and it was sort of just an identification with Christ. Baptism has nothing to do with salvation other than the obedience that it leads us to. And the question is, is if you've truly been saved, why wouldn't you want to be baptized? It's a picture of what Jesus has done. Again, it's a testimony to the world of what Jesus has done. When I am baptized, I am going underwater. So it's a, a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. But it's also a picture in my life of my death to my old self. My burial, I'm burying myself in Christ, and I'm being raised with him anew. And from that point forward, we begin to live our life fully for him. Romans 6, 3-5 tells us this wonderful description of another action that God has called us to associated with a saving faith. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too live a new life. We have been united with him in his death. We will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. It's a picture of that. We're declaring to the world, I'm dead to self and I'm alive in Christ. And from this point forward, I want to live my new life in him. Baptism is never the end. Actually, baptism is the beginning. Some people think salvation is something that, that happens here when we walk the aisle or say the prayer. And then when we get to heaven, it, it's sort of placed upon us. But eternal life begins that moment that you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Eternal life begins that moment that you surrender yourself to him. Romans 12.1 tells us this, that as we are followers of him, therefore I urge you, brothers, 
in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual worship. I think some versions say, which is your reasonable service. Do you live your life in that accordance? In obedience to God and following him, desiring to please him in the things that you do? Or do you block him out of your mind when you want to do the things of the world? You believe with your heart, you confess with your mouth. Baptism, you offer all. You're saying, I'm putting it all on the line for you, Lord. From this day forward, I am living for you. Romans 12, 2 goes on to say, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Paul has a way of just cutting right to the core, doesn't he? We live in a world today where people just say, I'm going to live the way I want to. Keep your nose out of my business. But what I say is if you call yourself a Christian, you've elevated yourself to a different standard. I expect certain things out of the world, but I expect a lot more out of those that call themselves Christ followers or Christians. And so Romans tells us, don't conform to the patterns of this world. We don't need to believe or be governed by the patterns of this world. Just because the world says it's okay doesn't make it that way. I was talking to somebody last night about uh, Billy Graham. And I said, you know, I can remember as a child where they would play his revivals on public television over the channels. And they would show the whole sermon, the, the singing of the praises and the, and the music and the sermons and the altar call and the whole thing. The airways, the public airways would carry that. Right. Today, we have no time for God. As a matter of fact, that would probably be shunned. The time at 9-11 when the, the Twin Towers were bombed and all the airplanes in North America were shut down from moving. Billy Graham had permission via the president to fly, to be with him. He was the only plane over North America for that period of time. All the others were shut down. They understood the importance of God. He was one that met with 12 different presidents. I don't even know if the presidents these days even care about a preacher or a pastor or prayer. They mouth it sometimes, but do they really care about it? See, those days are sort of drifting away. And so we need to stand strong in these things. We believe in our heart, but we need to also confess with our mouth. We say we live for Jesus from this point forward. So we're not conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed, it says, by the renewing of your mind. We begin to think differently. We begin to align our thoughts with the thoughts of God's word. You know, I I often think when I when I give a message or a devotion or whatever I do, uh, my prayer really is as if it's of the flesh, if it's of me. I just pray that nobody remembers that part. But if it's of God, I want it to stick with you. See, we need the renewing of our mind to say, my mind needs to align up with what God's word says. It says, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. So many people sort of ask, you know, I want to know God's will for my life. Can you tell me what God's will is for my life? I just say, stay in the word. Follow him. He'll reveal it day by day, page by page in your life. He's going to show you what his will is for your life. And it's going to be in alignment with his word. Some people say, well, the spirit has led me to do this and that. And my question always is, is does it align up with God's word? Because there's a lot of spirits in the world. 
And even false spirits can, can tempt and speak into a believer's life. We get tempted by things. And so it needs to align up with God's word. And so it says we'll be able to test and approve what God's word is. His good and pleasing and perfect will. Are you striving to be in God's good and perfect and pleasing will? Our life of faith involves renewal of our minds back to God. We need to, to block out. Sometimes we just need to shut off the TV, shut off the radio, not read the garbage that's out there all the time, and focus upon God. Spend time in prayer with Him, speaking to Him, but also spending time listening to Him. Spend time in your Word. Spend time in devotions with God, because that's how we, He speaks to us in our life. And when we begin to do that, our life becomes that living sacrifice. We're seeking to please him in the things that we do. We do this daily so that our connection with God, that our relationship with God will grow more and more. You know, your friendships grow when you spend time with your friends. Your marriage grows when you spend time with your spouse, talking and listening and, and experiencing things together. It's no different with God. If you're not spending time with God, you can't expect to grow in his grace. Our final stop on the Roman road tells us about the promises that God has for each and every one of us. God has promises for us, and he wants us to accept this gift of salvation. So as we're going through this, I don't know if all of you are saved. I pray that you all are. I pray that you know Jesus is your personal Lord and Savior. Maybe you've been raised in a church. Maybe you've gone to church your whole life. That doesn't make you a Christian. It's submitting ourselves to God and his word. So God gives us a promise here. In 8.1 it tells us this. Therefore, there is no condemnation in those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemning for those that are in Christ Jesus, right? There's no condemnation left for you once you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Satan's going to come and say, who are you? I know what you've done. Well, the devil's great at that bringing up our past, right? Regurgitating that in our mind, the things that we have done, the trouble that we have been to the Lord and to others in our life. And he wants us to wallow in that. He wants to, to guilt us in those things. He wants to, you know, say, who are you that you should do that? And I often think that. I mean, there but by the grace of God, I think Goliath, as D.L. Moody would say, but Satan always brings those things up. We need to stand on the promise that it says, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Are you in Christ Jesus? Do you know him as your Lord and Savior? Listen, none of us follow Jesus perfectly. Not one of us here. You know, we like to put people up on pedestals and say, oh, you know, I wish I could have your walk. Don't ever ask for that. God has given us the walk that we're in. And we need to deal with that. But none of us are perfect. None of us follow him the way that we should at all times. Even after he saves us. But you don't need to really wonder if you belong to him. He has given us that promise. It's not me hanging on to God. It's God, again, hanging on to me. He's got me in the palm of his hand, the Bible tells me. And that he will not let go of me. We don't put trust in ourselves. See, if I talk about my faith and my walk and... In my, 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 I'm taking away from the glory of God. God has given me faith to believe in what he wants me to believe, and he gives me strength to face each temptation. He's promised to deliver me out of those things. Some people say, oh, the temptation was just too great. You don't understand. I, I you know, 
Corinthians tells me something different. There is no temptation that will overcome us, but that which is common to man. And when we are tempted, it says God provides a way out. See, my God is a loving God. He cares for me too much just to let me tread water on my own. He says, I am there for you. I will help you. I will revive you. I will give you the strength that you need in your life. It's up to God. It's not up to us. Our decisions and and our choices are to follow him, to look towards him, and he draws us ever close to him. If we put our trust in ourselves, we're going to fail because that's how we're wired. That's what we do. Our dependence becomes upon ourselves and not upon God. We depend on him because he is for us. And I want you to know that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, no matter what you face, no matter what trial you're in, no matter what struggle you're in, if it's in a a marriage struggle, if it's in other relational thing, if you're facing uh, difficulties at your job or or the, the things of this world that are attacking, know this, that God is for you. He's for your marriage. He wants it to be fully engulfed in him and he wants to be honored in that marriage and he wants to be a wonderful union between husband and wife. He wants those friendships to work out. He wants those work relationships to be good, but he says we need to honor him. We need to follow him. We need to keep our eyes upon him. Romans 8.31 tells us this, if God is for us, who can be against us? How is God for us? Well, he's for us because he has saved us. He's redeemed us. He has set us free. He's he's loosened the bondage from us. And what does Jesus say? Follow me. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. Will he not also freely give us all things? He says that God loved us enough to give his only son. That's a great love. We have a lot of parents here. How many of you would give a child for somebody else's sin? Oh man, God's love is great for us. He is for us. He wants us to succeed. He wants to give us everything that we need to succeed. But the choice is yours. Are you going to follow him? Are you going to say, yes, Lord, here am I. I no longer have to worry of God is on my side because I know he is always on my side. He is for me and he wants to see me succeed in the things that I'm doing for his glory and for his kingdom. Next time you feel anxious, next time you you feel hopeless in a situation or defeated, remember that God is on your side. God is for you. It's an important thing to remember. Romans 8 is is full of encouragement as you read through it. It's a good chapter just to read through and read through again. There's, I mean, the whole Bible, there's a lot of things. But I even know people that try to memorize Romans 8 because it is so full of those things when you face these temptations in life that will help you through. I also want to challenge you to become an evangelist. We talked a little bit about evangelists. Sometimes they get a bad name because... Uh, they spend millions on mansions and cars and planes and air-conditioned doghouses and things like that. But they've distorted what an evangelist is. Remember, evangelist is the gospel. An evangelist is somebody who proclaims the gospel. I want to encourage you to rethink that and to say, 
you are an evangelist. I know the Bible talks about a calling for an evangelist, but in our life, in our circle, in the, in the realm that we talk with people, we are evangelists. Take the Roman notes home. Sort of customize them to yourself. Make your own little notes so when you come into contact with people, you, you have a pattern to share with them. And again, in a few weeks, we're going to talk about some of those different styles because not all styles are the same. Not all styles are effective for all people. You never know when an opportunity is going to present itself. Sunday morning, Sunday school is, is wonderful. We're going through Acts right now. And we're sort of watching Paul as he's gone through a, a shipwreck and, and he's on his way to, to Rome. But all the detours along the way, and guess what? People are seeing the hand of God all along there. We stand back and say, why didn't God just do this all of a sudden? Just boom, because God could do that. But God has a plan. Wherever, you at, God, wherever you're at, God wants to use you in those things. You never know when an opportunity to present the gospel may come your way. The Bible says always be ready to give an answer for that hope that lives within you. I hope all of you are traveling this Romans road as, as we've been going through this. I just have a couple of questions. Have you realized that you're a sinner and that you need to be right, made, made right with God? That's the question. We're all sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, not one. Do you realize that? Do you understand that God is offering you salvation? He is offering it to you. It's nothing that, that we can go into a store and then slap down a 20 and say, here, I want to buy this. God is offering you salvation freely through faith in Jesus Christ. Do you know that free gift of salvation offered only through Jesus? Maybe you're at a crossroads this morning as you're sitting here. Maybe you've been struggling with the questions and struggling with different things in your life and, and you're at a crossroads today. What's your answer going to be? If that's the case, don't miss your chance to respond to the gospel message. Sometimes we put it off. We say, you know, maybe next week. I got to get some things in, in order here. Maybe, you know, next month, once, whatever. And, and we put it off. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. If you don't know Jesus, make right with him today. Make right with him as he is, is speaking to your heart today. You know, we want people saved because we don't want them to go to hell. Right? We want them to have that relationship with Jesus. Well, why is hell so awful? One, it wasn't created for man. It was created for Satan and his angels. And we need to understand that. Secondly, the worst thing about hell, you know, we always picture this fire and burning, and, which is bad if you've ever been burned. But I want you to think about this. Hell is the absence of God. I found this little saying that I, I just sort of like to share with you. There's no air in hell because God is the breath of life. There's no peace in hell because God is the prince of peace. There's no comfort in hell because God is the God of comfort. There's no love in hell because God is love. Hell is darkness because God is the light. You don't have to go there because there is only one way to escape it, and that is through salvation of Jesus Christ. Acts 4.12 tells us this, Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven which men must be saved. 
and that's the name of Jesus. J.C. Ryle is, is one of the authors that I like to read, and he says, He knew what you were before conversion. You were wicked, guilty, and defiled, and yet he loved you. He knows what you will be after conversion, weak, erring, and frail, and yet he still loves you. See, our God cares for us. Having people fully trust in God is the challenge. I said that that, that uh, pastor had asked, the, or the writer of the paper had asked the question, what is your biggest challenge as a pastor? And I started to make a short answer, sort of a blah, blah, and then I, I, it really hit me that there's more to it. And this is what I, I had wrote back to her. Having people fully trust and depend on God and his word. That's the biggest challenge. In a country as prosperous and as great as the U.S. is, it is easy to put our reliance on ourselves and our resources. We live in an instant gratification society where we have come to expect immediate results and responses in our lives to most everything. If we don't like something, we just create what we want. We fail to wait upon the Lord to do his work in his time according to his will. Relationships and commitments have become disposable, which is also very sad. So having people see the need for a savior is of most importance. The day will soon come when we stand before the Lord of Lords, and all that is going to matter is if we knew him as savior. That's the biggest challenge. Does that make sense to you? Is God speaking to your heart today? His desire is that relationship with you. Let's pray.